with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We had a, the, the last song that we sung was a prayer. It was a prayer for God to cleanse us. It says in the Bible that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to come before the Lord with a clean heart, with unstained hands. We want to come before the Lord in, in a way that we'll be able to receive from him. And we want to come before him often. So we're going to talk tonight about prayer. And, you know, a lot of people claim that they pray, and a lot of people claim that they, have, that they get answers to their prayers. I'm going to skip down a little bit in my message here and give you a, a recent poll. A recent Gallup poll asked two questions about prayer. It has been said that those who pray will receive help. Do you think this is a true statement or not? That's the first question. And 71% of all adults said yes, that if they, if they pray, they will receive help. The second question is, when you've prayed for help, what happened? Did it work for you or not? Did it work for you? So that second question, 63% of adults said yes, it worked. More women said yes than men. I'm not sure what that means. So, prayer. 71% of people that were asked said that if they pray that they'll receive what they ask for. Is that why we pray? Should that be our motivation? Should that be the reason why we go before a holy God? Think about it. It's like us communicating with a, with a flea. God communicating with us. It's, it, we're on so, such different levels. The difference between our mind and God's mind is immeasurable. And yet, that analogy falls apart because God wants a relationship with us. Unlike we would really, we could care less if we had a relationship with a flea. God wants that communication with us. And how do we, so how do we do that? How do we attain that? How do we get to a place where we can communicate unholy people communicating with a perfectly holy God? And there are, there's scriptures, the Bible is, Loaded with examples of prayers, people praying, people communicating with God, and for different reasons. And it would really be beneficial to us if we understood his heart in all of this and why we, why we should pray. But just as an example of some of the prayers in the scriptures, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve talk with God, and that's a prayer of conviction. That's a prayer of conviction. See, some prayers are not... Always, what can you get, you know, or petitions or intercessory prayer. Sometimes it's prayers of, of 
conviction. Cain prays for mercy. So it's a prayers of, prayers of mercy. God talks to Noah. So there's a call of God. Remember, God called Isaiah. God called um, Samuel into ministry. So there, there's different ways that God communicates us, uh, with us in that way. Moses prayed for Pharaoh. Pray for our enemies. Do we do that? Many of the Psalms are just outright prayers. You, know, you can see David pouring his heart out. Pray, we pray for the, for the nation. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. You know, why do we do that? And even Jesus prayed in John 17 for our sanctification and, and unity among, among the brethren in the, in, his, in the high priestly prayer. So Jesus didn't think that it was, it was something that we should neglect. He, he didn't neglect it. There are many times in the scriptures where it says, it says that Jesus went away by himself to be with, to be with the Father. So, so prayer can involve many different circumstances. And there's nothing too large or too small for God. I think sometimes that's where we kind of get stuck too. You know, where we think this is, this, some things are just too small for God to consider. He's got the whole world to worry about. Why is he going to worry about my situation? But he does. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. How do you do that unless you communicate with him? And, it's, and it's, again, we're going to see tonight that it's not about telling God something that he doesn't already know. It's about that dialogue, that back and forth. And I think many of us, I know I do, I'll raise my hand here, many of us want to be more disciplined, more consistent in our prayer life. Some of us feel inadequate. Some of us feel even ashamed at prayer. I know it, it takes a long time for people to come out of their shell and, and pray aloud with a group of people. And in our private prayer time, I don't know if it's happened to you, it's happened to me, our thoughts wander, our minds wander. We go from, from uh, just you know, on our knees before the Lord to, uh, what am I going to have for lunch today? You know, it, it's... You know, so... You know, prayer is, you know, it's something that we find it hard to do sometimes. We find it hard to even get started in prayer. You know, I think the most important thing is not to worry, be too concerned about what it sounds like or how I feel or, or anything, but just to do it. Just to get before the Lord and just start that, start that communication. And I think part of the prayer time that we have with Him also is the, just the, being still part. You know, the receiving, because if you have a conversation with somebody, it's not always, it's, hopefully it's not a one-way conversation. Hopefully you give that person opportunity to respond. And so there's that time that we just sit and we wait. And there's a lot of misconceptions about prayer. So I'll just, just to break the ice, I'll tell you about a joke that I heard. Three preachers who were discussing the best positions for prayer. While a telephone repairman worked nearby, 
And one preacher says, kneeling is definitely the best position for prayer. And another preacher says, no, 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 no. I get the best results while standing with my hands outstretched to heaven. And the third preacher insisted, no, no, you're both wrong. The most effective prayer position is lying prostrate, face down on the floor. So, of course, the tele telephone repairman couldn't contain himself any longer. Overhearing this conversation between the three preachers, he says, Hey, fellas, the best praying I ever did was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. <laughs> so, it's not about the position. It's not about the formality. It's not even about the words that we use. You know, the most heartfelt prayers in the Bible are David's just crying out, crying out to the Lord, just being really, really just keeping it real and just, and just expressing that. And when we get stuck in those words, that's encouraging. That should be encouraging to us. And David's, David's cries in the Psalms are about as basic as you can get a lot of times. So we should, we should be encouraged in that when we kind of get stuck in our words. In, in a book that C.S. Lewis wrote um, called Letters to Malcolm, uh, it's called Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer. He's, it, it's a dialogue. Um, C.S. Lewis likes to write in letter style, back and forth. So he says in one part about prayer, for many years after my conversion, I never used any ready-made prayers except the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I tried to pray without words at all, not to verbalize the mental acts. Even in praying for others, I believe I tended to avoid their names and substituted mental images of them. And I still think prayer without words is best if one can really achieve it. I think what he was expressing there is that words are, are the way that we communicate with people. But sometimes with God, no words need to be said. Sometimes with, with God, it's better if we don't even try to express it in words. And certainly the words themselves aren't the most important thing. It's the condition of the hearts. Remember, God looks at the inside not the outside. He doesn't, he's not impressed with you know, our vocabulary. So our prayer doesn't need to be you know, uh, eloquent in that way. As a matter of fact, there are some times where words just completely escape us in our prayers. And Paul writes in Romans 8, 26 and 27, you know, this, you know these verses. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when we are in when our hearts are right before him and we set aside that time to just come into his presence, just set your hearts toward God and let it happen. See what happens. The Holy Spirit will take over when you can't find the words. 
And when we consider prayer, it's a kind of a puzzling thing. You know, and, and there, there are a lot of things to contemplate. And we're not going to really try to get into them tonight. We're not going to get into the theological aspects of prayer. Because a lot of times, we are kind of stumped at that. If God, like if God is omniscient, all-knowing, then why do we even have to pray? Doesn't he know everything already? We can't tell him anything he doesn't know. We can't tell him anything about the past or the present or the future. And think about this. If God grants one person's petition, isn't it probable that he's denying somebody else's petition? Well, certainly when the Giants and the Cowboys play play one another, right? Half the country's rooting for the Giants, praying for the Giants, and half the country's praying for the Cowboys. God can't answer both. So, you know, even in something trivial like that, you know, we think that, well, if God's answering one person in a positive sense, he's, he's very possibly answering someone in a negative sense. And how does that work? Well, we don't know, necessarily. And we're not going to try to answer that tonight. Because honestly, it's not about that. It's not about trying to figure out God's mind. It's not about trying to figure out the ins and outs of prayer. It's about just doing it. Just doing it. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is the portion of Scripture that we're going to be in tonight, in Matthew 6, Jesus is instructing his disciples regarding many different Jewish practices at the time. He's talking about giving, he's talking about fasting, and he's talking about praying. And he's trying to let them know in all of these things that it's really the motivation of the heart that's the most important thing when it comes to doing anything for the Lord. If we give or if we serve or if we pray out of ritualistic reasons or for the praise of men, then it's for the wrong reason. If we fast to be seen of men for our righteousness, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. If our prayer is an occasion to be noticed by others, then it's for the wrong reason. And certainly our prayers shouldn't be self-centered. We shouldn't be trying to puff ourselves up with, with our prayers. And Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of the day for their self-serving motives in all of those different rituals. All believers will come before Christ to be judged for the motives of their heart. For their motives of their heart. So God wants true righteousness in our hearts as we pray. He wants our hearts to be clean before him, coming to him with proper motives. But he wants us to pray. And one of the things that prayer does for us, it nourishes us. It nourishes us. You know, it's like, it's like anything else. You know, when we're born again, then, the, you know, Jesus is, is living inside us. The Holy Spirit is inside us. And 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 we want to grow. We want to grow in our relationship with him. And we can either starve that new life, starve that new birth, or we can feed it. We can nourish it. Prayer is the way we nourish that relationship with God. And sometimes we look at prayers in ways that the Bible doesn't look at prayers. Like we look at prayer as a way, a lot of times, of getting things for ourselves. 
getting things for ourselves. The Bible looks at prayer as a way of getting to know God better. Just experiencing Him more. And it's not so much that prayer changes things, but prayer changes us, doesn't it? You know, coming before the Lord and just, and just, letting, it, just letting it flow, it changes us. It changes our attitudes. It changes our, our, our outlook on things. It sort of sets us on the right foot. It, it sort of alters the way we look at our circumstances, doesn't it? You know, after you have a time of prayer about a difficult thing that might be going on in your life, it's almost like a load has been taken off your shoulders. You know? And, and it's so, so God, God didn't change in any way. You know, God knew what he was going to do all the way right from the beginning of time about that particular thing that you were praying about. But, but you needed that reassurance. You needed that encouragement. We needed to have a sense that when we cast our care upon him, he really does care for us. He really does carry our burdens. So in that way, prayer changes the way we look at things. And remember the, the poll that I spoke of earlier, that 63% of the people that were polled said that, yes, uh, Prayer works. Prayer works. But what does that mean? You know, when you ask, when you ask, you know, several hundred people or several thousand people, you're gonna you're gonna find that most of them probably don't have a relationship with God. So what does what does it mean when prayer works in a biblical way? Biblically speaking, prayer works when it gives us a greater sense of His Majesty than prayer works. Prayer works when it leads us to repentance. Prayer works when it gives us a greater sense of His grace. Prayer works when it produces gratitude and thankfulness every day for what we have. Prayer works when it leads us to pray for others, when it drives us to act on behalf of others, prayer works. And prayer works when it leads to a new commitment in our walk. Then we know prayer works. So it's sort of, it's different than the way the, the world sees, sees prayer working. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer. And that's today's, the title of today's message, a pattern for prayer. That quiet time that we set aside to speak and to receive from the Lord. And, and there's, a, there's a good reason for a pattern. Because, like we said earlier, our minds tend to wander. And, and, and you know, uh, I like a schedule, personally speaking. I, I like to know what I'm going to do, you know, on, an, on a day-to-day basis. You know, it keeps me focused. So I think that's what this pattern that Jesus gives his, his followers is there to do. It sort of keeps us focused. What are we doing when we come before the Lord in prayer? You know, not to get, not to get sidetracked, not to get distracted. Keep us focused. 
So in, in verse 5 of chapter 6, we'll start there. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, concerned about their image in the sight of others, concerned about their outward appearance, not their heart, not the motivation. And they probably waited until the specified time of day to pray, and they made themselves, made their presence known walked in the street so others could see them and could hear them, so they could exalt themselves. Now, certainly, coming before the Lord and exalting yourself is, is the wrong reason to go, to go to prayer. And the religious leaders had, had two main faults regarding their pr prayer life. Vain glory and vain repetition. And Jesus speaks about both of them. Vain glory meant that as they were seeking God in prayer, they were also seeking the praise of man. It was sort of like a, a double-edged uh, benefit for them. Well, we'll seek the Lord, but while we're doing this, men will see how holy we are, how righteous we are. So he also says, Jesus also says in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. We don't want to hear that from the Lord. We, want to be, we don't want to be hypocritical in our time before him. Then Matthew 6.6, 6, he goes on. He says, but when you, when you pray, go to your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And we, we uh, in, in the Christian culture, call that your prayer closet. Your prayer closet. Go in, go into your room, shut the door, and pray, pray to the Father in private, in secret. Not for anyone else's benefit, not to be seen by others, but just you and God, that intimacy of that relationship. You know, it doesn't get any more, it, it's not about others. When you're alone in your prayer spot and, you know, pick a place in your house that's quiet, that's away from everything, that's away from the, you know, the traffic, yeah, that, goes, that goes back and forth through the house, pick a spot and just make that your prayer spot. And go before the Lord there. And everyone knows, well, when you're in that spot, don't bother you. You know, let the family know. And, and keep your personal prayer life personal. You know, a lot of times, listen, and, and, and this is not a rebuke at all, but a lot of times, and even in corporate prayer, we get very personal, you know. And, and I think there are certain things that we need to just keep between us and God, you know. And, and, and so those are the kinds of things that I think that Jesus is saying there instruction-wise, you know. And refer to God 
in a personal way. You know, he says there, to pray to your father. It's personal. That's personal. And when, he, and when we pray, he, he'll hear us and he'll reward us. And it's not a worldly reward. It's a, it's a, it's a closer relationship to him. That's our reward. That's our reward, having that closeness with God. And then in verses 7 and 8, he says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So the other fault is vain repetition. The first one was vain glory, seeking their own benefit, seeking glory upon themselves. The other one is vain repetitions. And again, as we spoke earlier, the eloquent words, the many words, they don't impress God. You know, and, and vain repetition, and it's not about the repetition, but it's about the vanity of it. You know, it's about, it's about the, the attitude of it. And persistence is something that we're told in the scriptures that we should do. We should come before the Lord. We should be persistent. But it's not for his benefit. It's not that we're trying to persuade him. It's for our benefit. It's again, it's always about trying to keep those lines of communication open. So vain repetitions. Many of us came from, from a religious structure that vain repetitions were based, or repetitious prayer was part of the culture of the religious culture that we might have come out of. Repetitious prayers. But it's not about the repetitions necessarily, it's about the heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes you find it difficult, like we pray before meals, right? And well, how many times, how many different ways can you pray before your meal? You know, there's only certain words you can use. So sometimes those prayers and I feel a little, sometimes I have a twinge of guilt that I, I pray the same prayer a lot of times before our meal. But you know what? It's, it's not about the repetition. It's about the heart. Is it, is it vain? Are you saying it just out of, out of ritual? Or are you saying it because you, you're thanking God for blessing, for blessing you? You're thanking, you're asking Him to continue to provide. You're thanking Him for the food. And so you thank Him for the food. And if it's the same day after day, or, and then, it's, then it's still, it's the heart. God knows the heart. Christ, Jesus prayed in repetitions. In Matthew 26, 44, it says, So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So, if Jesus did it, we shouldn't, think any less of it, you know, but again, it's about the heart. The angels pray repeated prayers. In Revelation 4.8, it says, And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, that's probably, a, we're going to probably hear that a lot in heaven, those same words. So, it's not about new words or old words or the same words or different words. It's about the heart. It's about coming to the Lord with the right heart. 
And then he says in, in, in verse 9, back to Matthew 6, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus saw that it was needful to sort of instruct his followers, give them a method, give them a pattern, in this manner, in this manner. Now, many of us pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, uh, you know, word for word. And if, if the heart is in the right place, then that's okay. It's a good pattern. It's the pattern that Jesus gave his followers. But what's the first part of that? The first part of that is intimacy. Intimacy. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Our Abba. Daddy. That intimate relationship. Expressing warm affection. And as children, we go before him. And we have that intimate, we have that access to our Father. So that's the first aspect of this pattern. And then to, to hallow him, to hallow the Lord, to, to consecrate, to make holy, to, to put God in his rightful place, to make the time with him sacred, to set it apart, and to honor him above all else. You know, his name above all others. His name that represents his character, who he is, represents his nature. Hallowed be your name. So we, we put his name above, above all else. And then, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, seeking his kingdom first. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So not worrying about our, our, our daily sustenance, not worrying about food or clothing or shelter or, or, or you know, where we're going to find our next meal, but giving it over to God, knowing that He hears you, knowing that we're seeking His kingdom first. God, whatever your will is, I know you're going to provide my needs. I want to do your will. So your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. So your prayer is something like, Heavenly Father, I, I exalt your name above all names. Lord, I, I, you're so awesome. I want to seek you first, before anything else, Lord. I want to put you in your rightful place in my life. It reminds us when we pray that, oh, your kingdom come, your will be done, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He presides over all of the affairs of the earth and of your life. So we can say, not, your, not my will, your will be done, Lord. And then give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily, go back to him. Every day, ask him to sustain you. Ask him to provide your needs. Understand, admit our inadequacies. And give him 
the opportunity to bless you. He wants to bless you. Give him that opportunity. You know, remember, in the wilderness, the Israelites had to gather daily the manna. It was a lesson for them. It was a lesson. They had to continue to, to be sustained by God each and every day. We all need that. So give us this day our daily bread. And, and, and it teaches us to go to Him every day. And imagine if we really did have to go to Him every day for our food. Each and every day, the, the food from the day before would go rotten. We'd have to throw it out. We'd wake up in the morning, the refrigerator would be empty. And the only way that we could be sustained for that day would be to go to Him in prayer. We'd probably all go to Him in prayer that day. But He wants no less of a daily relationship with us. So it teaches us to have that consistency day after day after day with Him. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Praying, pray, uh, praying for forgiveness. And there's, there's discussion about this, there's controversy about this. Does God forgive us if we don't forgive others? I think forgiveness, it, our, our forgiving spirit is, is honored by God. So whether He will forgive us if we don't forgive others or not, I don't really know necessarily. The Bible says things sort of both ways on that. But we should be forgiving of others. Listen, think about all that, you, that God's forgiven you for. Wouldn't it be just natural to forgive others? In one commentary I read, it says, forgiveness is required for those who have been forgiven. We are not given the luxury of holding on to our bitterness toward other people. We're not given that luxury. And then just after this section um, in Matthew, Jesus goes on and he says in, in uh, verses 14 and 15, but it, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness needs to be part of it. So in your daily prayer, Father, Daddy, I'm coming to you today. I, 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 you're, you're so awesome. You're so wonderful. I'm asking you today to provide for my needs. I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins. Because each and every day we need that. And then give me the strength Give me the desire to forgive those who have hurt me. And let me make a clean slate. Let me not hold bitterness in my heart. You see the pattern working itself out just in conversation with God. And in verse 13, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God's guidance in our daily walk. God's direction. And again, we need to pray this every day. Remember, 
Um, when, when, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet um, uh, and Peter said um, he, he wanted his whole body to be washed, and Jesus said, no, you don't have need of that. What, what Jesus was saying here is, as we walk through this world, we, we get dirty. We, you know, we're forgiven. We're, we're saved. We're, we're, we're going to be in heaven with him if we've received him. And I'm, I, I, I pray that I'm, I'm talking to mostly believers tonight in this room, whoever's listening after this. If you've received Jesus, you're forgiven. That's all taken care of. But every day we get dirty. Every day we need to be cleansed. Every day we need guidance and direction from God. Because, you know, there, there are a lot of different roads, a lot of different paths that we can go down. Without God's direction, we're going to fall off a cliff somewhere. There are situations that come up every day. Persecutions we go through. Testings we go through every day. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, keep me, keep me on the narrow path towards you. Keep me focused on your kingdom, God. Don't let me be distracted by the things of this world. Don't let me be taken down by the evil one who wants to take me away from your things and to set me on a path toward destruction. Remember, narrow is the path toward salvation. Wide is the path toward destruction. And many go down it. So every single day we need to be prayed up. So a pattern, a pattern for prayer. Why should we pray? Well, pretty much for relationship purposes. The same reason why we keep in contact with people we love, with, with friends and, and relatives. Because we want that communication. So a couple of things about that pattern and what it means as we go through it. Our Father in Heaven, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. Think about that as you're praying. Hallowed be your name is about worship. It's just worshiping Him. You know, we don't, you don't only worship Him in song. You worship Him with your life. You worship Him with your heart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. About God's sovereignty. Forgive us our debts. About His mercy. Lead us not into temptation about, temptation about his guidance and direction in our life and then delivering us the freedom that we have, delivered from evil. And then again, worship. We, it ends with worship. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. God's, God being the focus in our prayers. God, God deserving the consistency of our prayers. And, you know, if you have to set your clock an extra half hour early to get up before you start your day. The whole point is to come before Him. To set your heart on God. To seek Him. And to keep that relationship alive. And then just see what He does. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you.